scripture reading today is from Psalms 10, 14, 17 through 18, which is found on page 387 of your pew Bible. Also Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, which is found on page 827 of your pew Bible. So Psalms 10, 14. But you do see, for you know mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands, to you the, help, the helpless commits himself, for you have been the helper of the fatherless. Verse 17. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And then Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For, gra- for grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Good to have Austin Kine back working with uh, our young people, soon to help out with the admission trip this week, which we'll be uh, commissioning uh, the students for that later on. This morning, I begin a new series called Deficient Dictums, Half-Truths That Need the Whole Truth. What am I talking about there? It's popular religious statements, and I say that in quotations, that many think are Christian truths, but they are half-truths at best. Uh, Two weeks from now, I'll be talking about loving the sin, hating the sinner. be talking about another one uh, the week after that. But this morning, I'm going to begin with the most glaring one. I believe, in many ways. And I'm not saying it's altogether bad. It's just not the whole truth. It's called, God helps those who help themselves. How many of y'all have ever heard that? God helps those who help themselves. And before I begin talking about it, I need to give a little bit of background. And I think I shared this here at Brookwood when I was interim pastor a number of years ago. And I think it it bears worth um, uh, repeating simply because of, of where we're going with this. Because I think that phrase can apply to a lot of us. Now, uh, when I was a kid, I remember going to an African-American church. And during the pastor's sermon, you know, he had this wonderful way of building up the tension, building up the conflict in the sermon with what was going on. The narrative was getting really powerful. I think he was talking about uh, the storm on the Sea of Galilee and the waves were beating against the boat and the water was filling in the boat and Jesus is over there asleep and the disciples are scared. Are they going to drown? Are they going to perish? And he's just building this up to the point that people out there couldn't take it anymore. They needed resolution to the conflict and somebody shouted out what? Somebody know? Fix it, brother. Fix it. That means bring this to resolution, my brother. Fix it, brother. And I shared that many, many years ago to tell us that we are a fix-it culture here. Is that fair to say? We are a group of uh, highly driven, problem-solving, get-the-straps-on-and-get-her-done kind of people. And I love being that kind of person. I love being around you kind of people who are that way. So in many ways, as a fix-it culture, we can resonate with this statement. We can sympathize with it. But there are some issues with it. First of all, it's not in the Bible, as many people think. Jay Leno, 
conducted one of his man-on-the-street interviews one night on The Tonight Show, and he asked folks, name one commandment, name one of the Ten Commandments. You know what the most common response was? God helps those who help themselves. True. Survey was taken in the late 90s, and 81% of Americans believe that that is in Scripture. More recently, they replicated that survey, 82% now believe that it's in the Bible. And it's not. It actually comes from non-biblical sources. Um, uh, some dated back to the first century A.D., a Greek fable about a guy who was uh, driving a wagon along, and he went into a ditch, and instead of uh, helping himself out with it, because he really could have done that, he saw Hercules standing close by. He asked Hercules to help him out, and Hercules said, before you come to the gods or someone like me, help yourself. Could be that. Later on, uh, there was a 16th uh, century uh, French writer who said, help yourself and heaven will help you too. But it was this uh, 16th, excuse me, 17th century English thinker, Algernon Cindy, who was credited with first penning those words, God helps those who help themselves. But the person who really popularized it was the editor of Poor Richard's Almanac. Who would that be? Benjamin Franklin uh, quoted it often in there to the point that I think even people back then began to believe that it was scriptural. Well, even if it's not in the Bible, we can be sympathetic to this dictum. You know, we're a fixed people, but again, it's a half-truth that needs the whole truth. And the way it's often used and said and understood kind of goes against the biblical understanding of grace and ministry. So let's break this down. Now, now how is it true, though? Well, let's give it some cred here. How is it true? Well, we do need to take the initiative often. You say a blessing at a meal. Uh, what if the empty plates are there and you say a blessing? Do you just expect the food to appear there? Of course not. A lot of times down in the south we'll say, bless the hands that prepared it, right? Somebody did prepare it. And long before that, there might have been a farmer who raised some of the food that is coming to your table. But it wasn't just the farmer. It was, it was a trucker who brought it to the particular store. And then there was a grocer who stacked it on the shelves. And then it was you or somebody else you know who went and got the food and then brought it home and then prepared it for the meal. You've got to take initiative. You can't just pray for it and it materialize. We don't honor God when we pray and have faith but never do anything to reach certain goals. Paul makes that clear to the Thessalonians. Let's put that up and look at that together. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. This is Paul talking to the Thessalonians. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus to settle down and work to earn their own living. Now, what's going on there in Thessalonica? Well, they were really keyed up about the second coming, the parousia, as they called it. And they were thinking that the parousia was just right around the corner. And because of that, they thought, why do I need to go to work today? Jesus is coming around the corner here. He'll be here very soon. I don't need to work. And apparently a lot of the church members took it that literally and just believed that he was coming again soon. It's interesting when you look at First and Second Thessalonians, Paul is intent on saying, nobody knows the day or the hour except God, so get on with your daily work. Do your labor, earn your wages. And so he's saying, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. You've got you to show some initiative. Never does God condone laziness, idleness, sitting idly by when you can work towards a goal, especially when it's a, a worthy goal. Think of all the injustices in the world, all the famine, all the poverty, all the civil rights abuses, all the poor health care when we can go and offer some help. 
You can't just pray that it gets better. You've got to get to work and get involved. Or sharing the gospel all the more. You know, we're an enterprising, motivated church that, well, we like to sweat when we get the word out. I mean, we did that recently, what, construction mission trip, uh, uh, Rio, App Trail. Larry, I don't know if you sweated at, in Mongolia, but I mean, you, you put hard work into it anyway. Uh, you know, you can, <laughs> and, and I think of the youth who are going this week uh, to Truvine, which I think is so cool, Tim. I, I just think it's so cool that we are um, bridging and forging and solidifying our relationship all the more with our youth doing their mission trip right across, you know, the mountain, as we call it, right over the mountain. I just think that's huge. And I so respect the youth for doing that. I just think that's a huge statement by our young people. And, and you know, they're going to run into challenges this week, no doubt. But knowing them, as you know them, they're going to roll up their sleeves and step up and get it done and face whatever it is and, and get it done. You know, Aiden, I th even think about you. Aiden didn't just say he was a Christian or that he followed Jesus. You stepped up here and you were baptized. You, you got to work with it. You, you committed an action that showed to other people that you wanted to make it public. That was very cool. What's, what's the sign for cool, you know? Wow. Okay, I like that. Wow, that was great. That's a double wow, I guess. Okay. Um, so, you know, even if this dictum is not in the Bible, you know, it, it has some good things to say, but it's only a half-truth. We need to get the whole truth. Now, how do we get there? Well, first of all, how is it not true enough? Well, first of all, some people are helpless. They are helpless. And so God does help those who cannot help themselves as well. You know, compare God helps those who help themselves with first, or excuse me, with Psalm 18, verses 6 and 16. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. This is the cry of someone who's helpless, who doesn't feel like he can be helper help himself. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of the waters. You know, some God, sometimes God uses us to help other people who can't help themselves. Good example in Leviticus. Let's go to the next one. Leviticus 23, 22. Notice what God tells the farmers to do with their crops when they harvest. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. Do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Now, I love that. He says, you know, the, the crops that are at the very edge that you harvest, leave those. And whatever your harvesters, the, the laborers in the field, whatever they drop, leave it there. Leave it for the poor. Leave it for those who cannot genuinely help themselves. But I love how he ends it. I am the Lord your God. What he's saying with that last bit is, you know, all of this is mine anyway. There's our theme for the year again. It's all his. Your fields are mine. And I'm telling you, give some of this to the poor. Give it to some of the people who are in a position where they cannot help themselves. You think about Jesus with his parable of the sheep and the goats. That's what it's all about. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was sick and you visited me. It goes on. What about the good Samaritan? Could, could the guy who was on the side of the road really help himself? No. And the Samaritan comes along and helps him. God shows particular concern for people, at least back in that day, who were very helpless. The orphans, the widows, and sometimes it says the aliens or foreigners. Look, look at Psalm 10 here. The helpless put their trust in you. You defend the orphans. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed so people can no longer terrify them. 
Go to the next one. I think James picks up on this. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Then let me say this. If you lived in ancient Jewish times or in the first century of Jesus and you walked up to a widow or to an orphan and just said, hey, you need to just strap it on. You know, God helps those who, who, helps those who help themselves. That would have been nonsense. These were utterly vulnerable people who had no legal status, no social status. They didn't have an influential male who could protect them. They were completely vulnerable, which is why the psalmist says, you know, he will not let people be terrified. It was a terrifying thing to be an orphan back then. It was a terrifying thing to be a widow or often a foreigner. And God cares about those who are indeed helpless. He will help them as well. When I think about um, widows, I think of my dear friend Eleanor Nutt. How many of y'all remember Grady Nutt? I know those of you who are maybe 40 or over remember Grady Nutt. He was an amazing, amazing storyteller. How many of y'all actually heard Grady speak? Grady influenced my life as much as anybody. Uh, uh, I think I wrote my dissertation on humor because of Grady. He was a humorist. He was a storyteller. He had an NBC pilot at one point. Uh, he was on a Hee Haw. He was known as the Prime Minister of Humor. An amazing communicator. And, and he would just speak to huge crowds and just crack you up with his stories about mainly about funny things that happen in church and the way we can be funny and hypocritical and, and in need of grace so much often. Um, I was a junior in college when I was at Sanford, and I grew up in the church where Grady was, so he was very special to me. I was baptized, Aiden, with his son, Toby. He and I were baptized on the same Sunday. And, um, and it was 1982, I believe, uh, when someone came to my dorm room and he said, hey, I, I was, I'm a youth minister from Coleman, and I know that you're good friends with Grady, and I need to tell you he was killed in a plane crash tonight. He got in a single-engine plane in Coleman, and the plane went down in a terrible storm in, in, in Vinemont, if you know where Vinemont is. And it just shattered our church. It was, it was very, very difficult. And obviously it shattered his wife, Eleanor, who's an amazing, amazing uh, woman. And um, uh, she just really went into a depressive blue funk, which is understandable, for weeks. And she didn't talk to many people. She just sat in her home. And finally her dear friend, Cannon Graves, went over to check on her. And the house was pretty much a mess, and the dishes needed to be done and all that, so she did all that. And then she went to Eleanor's refrigerator and saw that there really wasn't much of anything in there, and she said, Eleanor, um, you need groceries. And Eleanor just kind of sat there silently. And finally, Cannon couldn't take it anymore, and she said, come on, you're going with me. She pulled her out of the chair, led her to her car, and Cannon drove her to the grocery store, and they went up and down every aisle in that big supermarket going place to place, and she had her arm around Eleanor as she pushed the cart with the other hand and said, okay, which one of these do you like the best? Okay, let's go on. You need milk, let's grab some of that. And went down every aisle. And I heard Eleanor talk about it about a year later, saying, I've never experienced Matthew 25 in such a powerful way. I was hungry, and she fed me. Oftentimes God uses us to help the helpless. There are people who are indeed in a state of helplessness that there is no way that we should be judging them by any stretch. What we should be doing is serving them. Can't help but think of the prodigal son who returns. Do the servants say, no, we don't want to get him the cloak and the shoes and the ring. Look, look at the kind of wasteful life he's been living. No, God says quit judging him. Go serve him. Yeah, you're not to be lazy. But you know, there's going to be a time in your life when you feel utterly helpless. If it hasn't hit you yet, trust me, it will. And you'll know what it means to need to have the comfort and grace and peace that only God can give. 
whether through another person or through some other way. Another problem with God helps those who help themselves. It exalts the self a little too much. At least it has that potential. You know, we are a fixed people, and there's the trouble with this approach and this dictum. It can have a tendency to reinforce the self-centeredness of us relying on ourselves instead of seeking God for help. Some of y'all might not know this. I graduated from Central High School in Louisville, Kentucky. It's deep in the inner city because I was bused. We had busing at the time. And uh, I went down there, and uh, the best-known graduate of the high school I attended, well, maybe you'll know, uh, one of his dictums was, I am the greatest. Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, when he graduated, but he became Muhammad Ali. Uh, I went to his high school, which is kind of crazy. Uh, I would say Muhammad Ali never has lacked self-confidence. Um, and in 1975, at the height of his boxing career, he was doing great, was defeating everybody. He was boarding a plane for a trip, and a flight attendant, at least at first, very nicely asked him, sir, will you buckle your seatbelt? And he just sassed at her. He said, hey, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she just sassed him right back, said, Superman don't need no airplane either. Buckle up, buddy. I just love that. <laughs> Always appreciated that story. You know, our pride can get in the way of acknowledging our need for help. And ultimately, God is our uh, eternal source of help. If we don't have that, we're sunk. You know, again, compare God... Uh, helps those who help themselves with Psalm 94. Unless the Lord had helped me, I would soon have settled in the silence of the grave. I cried out, I am slipping. But your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me when doubts filled my mind. Your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Ultimately, God isn't one of several sources of help for you. He's the only source of eternal help. That's where you get Psalm 121. And some of us still misunderstand that. Some of us uh, memorized it when we were young. I will lift mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. And immediately the sound of music comes into play and we see beautiful mountains, right? The mountains weren't all that beautiful in Israel when David wrote this. Let me just say that. You've got to look at the Hebrew grammar here. He's not looking at the mountains and saying, oh, those mountains remind me of God. That's not what he's saying. I so appreciate, you see where it says NLT, the New Living Translation is the one that gets this right better than anybody. Uh, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? Absolutely not. What's up in the mountains that David, the shepherd, David, the soldier, David, the king was familiar with? You know what he was familiar with? Uh, thieves, uh, wild animals, King Saul who was chasing him. The hills were the place of danger. Is my help going to come from there? No, my help comes from God alone. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers nor sleeps. He knows that even as he looks up in those hills where danger abounds, he will sleep soundly. Why? Because he knows that God never sleeps nor slumbers and he watches over him. We need not exalt ourselves by saying God helps those who help themselves. We need to be humble. Finally, God helps those who help themselves can sometimes run the risk of minimizing our desperate need for grace. And grace, as you know, is receiving God's favor even though you don't deserve it. I love Ephesians 2, uh, which was read just a moment ago. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. No one, uh, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. We are in desperate need of grace and may a dictum like God helps those who help themselves never 
ever make us higher on ourselves. Keith reminded me just this past week, you know, Keith loves to teach from John Ortberg, and Ortberg teaches most everything he does from a guy named Dallas Willard. I know a lot of us know of Dallas Willard. A lot of us read the book The Divine Conspiracy here years ago. But Keith reminded me of something that Dallas Willard said, which is this, Christians, think about this, Christians would need grace even if they had never sinned. I think that's profound. Christians would need grace even if they had never sinned because grace implies something God does that we cannot do ourselves. Grace is God acting in our life to do what we cannot do on our own. (laughs) Even if we'd never sinned, we still need that. And that's one incredible way, magnificent way, that God is defined in a way that we are not. We cannot offer the grace that only He does. We've got to reach out to the helpless because everyone needs the grace of eternal life, of course. It doesn't matter how rich or successful or admired or respected, even really how happy you are, how famous you are. You are in need of grace like everybody else. It really doesn't matter how successful you are perceived to be. I remember reading snippets of a book called Time Bends. It's Arthur Miller's memoir. Arthur Miller, who was the playwright, And at one point he tells about his marriage to Marilyn Monroe and he was on the set where she was filming The Misfits uh, with Clark Gable and he talked about how he just saw her descend into these depths of depression and despair. He was really fearing for her life. She was growing more dependent on barbiturates and downers. Uh, She was getting more paranoid and he saw his marriage just crumbling with her. They were uh, just the estrangement between the two of them was just increasing by the day. And one evening, a doctor came along and persuaded everybody else there to let him give her one more shot so she could get a good night's sleep because she wasn't really sleeping hardly at all. And Miller stood there watching her, and he wrote these words. And I found them so tragic. He said, I found myself straining to imagine miracles. What if she were to wake and I were able to say, God loves you, darling, and she were able to believe it? How I wished I still had my religion and she hers. Why that's so sad? He, all he could do was imagine a miracle that there really was a God who loved him, who loved her, who loved them together. And yet he had lost that somewhere along the way. Friends, I don't know how anyone gets through anything without their faith in Christ. So let me just ask you, is your faith where it needs to be? Or do you feel like you lost it somewhere along the way? You know, when you get to that point of helplessness, and you can't help yourself, you're going to need it then. You're going to need it. Let's pray together. God of peace and comfort and grace, we thank You so much for that which only You can offer us through Your Son the great comforter, the great peace giver. We ask, O God, that we do all that we can as a a people who want to work and to get out there and share Your Gospel. But at the same time, help us to, as Luther said, pour contempt on our pride and lean into You in utter dependence and humility. Help us to help the helpless, knowing that indeed we can be amazing agents of that help by letting us be unleashed with your spirit to help others. We pray all this in your name. Amen.